welcome back to another episode of the Chilenial Horrors Podcast, a podcast that looks back at the horrors of the noughties from remakes, haunted house movies, zombie movies, torture porn, horror comedies, home invasions, all the many different genres, subgenres, remakes, originals, monsters, serial killers, all the all the horror stuff of the noughties because it was a decade where there was just so much happening. My name's Jonathan Hatful. I'm Sarah Dobbs. And in this episode, we're going to be looking at the slasher remakes of the noughties. We're going to be moving away from the old dark haunted houses, uh, the scary mansions, the converted asylums, the clockwork ghost machines and ghost ships. <laughs> and we'll be looking at how filmmakers and studios of the era tackled these iconic, gory horrors from the 70s and 80s and updated them for a new modern audience, well, the audience of the noughties, which is now, I guess, not as modern as it used to be. So last episode we began in 1999 and we looked at Dark Castle mostly, which was the studio kind of production company, sorry, production company rather than a studio, that was set up to produce primarily William Castle remakes. So these kind of big, silly haunted houses movies that were kind of a bit campy, but would turn into a lot gorier, kind of, um, yeah, sexier horror movies for the modern audience. And this time we're going to be looking at the remakes of slasher movies and gorier, kind of nasty movies from the 70s and 80s and looking at how various production companies and studios kind of converted these into a noughties horror movie, which brings us away from Dark Castle and brings us to Platinum Dunes, the production company set up by Michael Bay. And if you don't know who Michael Bay is, he's, he's that guy who makes all his action movies, the giant <laughs> gazillion... Everything explodes. Everything explodes. Cars and, yeah. Yeah, they're all so <laughs> expensive. But yeah, things like Armageddon, Bad Boys, Pearl Harbor, The Rock, Transformers... Um, yeah, so he decided in the early noughties that he wanted to set up a production company for horror remakes. And understandably, I think at the time, I do remember people being pretty upset. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it was like, yeah, terrible Michael Bay's coming for your favourite horror movie. Um, <laughs> and yeah, he started off in a very uh, line-in-the-sand way with a Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake by taking on one of the best-regarded horror movies of all time. Yeah, it was in 2003, directed by Marcus Nispel, and it made a ton of money. It didn't cost very much, and it was a huge success. But yeah, so do you remember this film coming out? What were your memories of it at the time? I remember watching it on DVD in my student house. Um, I, I'm not sure if I'd seen the original at that point. I think I would have been like, yeah, like 20. Maybe I hadn't. Um, and just being like, yeah, that was fine. Like, <laughs> uh, sure. How about you? What was your first experience? I remember a friend had downloaded it, and we were watching, we were kind of all huddled around a computer, um, watching, I think, a pretty decent quality version of it. But uh, at that point, I was just very excited that it was a really gory, intense horror movie. And I think, you know, it wasn't one of my favourites, I didn't watch it a bunch, but I think I remember quite enjoying it. And then I never really went back and revisited it that often. Uh, I saw it earlier this year for the first time in a long time. But I think it, in my head it had always been like, oh yeah, like it was fine, it did what it needed to do. I guess seasoned horror fans were like, how dare you take on this beloved classic? And we were just like, well, it's fine, I guess. Just like, no no kind of, um, uh, I guess, history with it. So we are just like, whatever, yeah, sure. I had the chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I do remember the, tra- the, the trailer being very exciting. Like it was... It's one of the ones where they'd used that that horrible noise from like the flashbulb, like that's in the original movie yeah. trailer and like the beginning. And there was lots of kind of shot, imposing shots of the house and like people screaming in southern accents and stuff, and a lot of running. And it's, it is like it's really frantic in a way that the original movie is definitely not. 
it's yeah. uh, like yeah amped up in a way that you kind of expect from a Michael Bay produced horror movie but I feel like the, the setup's basically pretty similar it's still about a van full of young people who get waylaid in Texas and end up having to go to a creepy old farmhouse which <laughs> has a guy called Leatherface in it who's going to come for your skin it's I think probably the night the nicest is probably the wrong word but the best things about it are like the set design and the cinematography yes director Mark Nispel is his first movie and he teamed up with his uh, veteran cinematographer friend Daniel Pearl who had shot the original movie and who had worked with Marcus Nispel on all his uh, music videos and I think he said that he wanted to do something different with it if he was going to do it again mm. and there's this kind of sepia tone through the whole thing yeah um, that works quite nicely and it's just, it's just kind of covered in the whole film's kind of littered with animal carcasses like there's just chickens everywhere <laughs> uh, a lot of feathers it's just very gross um, it's just very icky it is yeah, yeah grimy it, it does I think yeah which is obviously like a huge part of the original that is kind of it kind of gets under your nails mm. it's like a, <laughs> you want to have a shower after it and now the remake kind of does that as well in a slightly different way it's not as sweaty though, weirdly. It's definitely not as sweaty, although everyone is very sweaty in it. Well, uh, yeah, I, I guess Jessica Biel is in various states of, of, of wetness. Um, yeah. <laughs> towards the end when there's a big downpour and yeah, she's just wearing a white vest. <laughs> <laughs> Early noughties were a bad time. <laughs> yeah, everyone's kind of glistening and wearing uh, very short t-shirts. But... Yeah. But yeah, like the cast is pretty decent. Like Jessica Biel and uh, Jonathan Tucker, Eric Balfour. Um... Yeah, Eric Balfour was a, a surprise in this film. I'd forgotten he was in it, and and also, yeah. um, I I think I didn't expect him to be in that role. I would have expected him to be in the sort of nerd role instead of the hmm. kind of Jessica Biel's hot boyfriend role. It's like what? <laughs> yeah, who then gets his his face taken oh, yes. and worn very quickly. Doesn't hang around long. No, and it's good because he's got such a distinctive face. Um, with really distinctive facial hair, yes. like that that beard he's got um, works very nicely for when you need to have. Oh, that's him as a skin mask. <laughs> um. Yeah, I guess it could be hard if it was just sort of just some clean-shaven guy. <laughs> he be, yeah. but, well, he's that meant to be. You need something. You need like glasses yes. or like distinctive piercings or a facial tattoo. Or something. Yeah, that would work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um. Something that I should have said maybe before is that um, it's set in 1973 as well, and the same what well, or. 74 but it's a flashback with the police record thing at the beginning so mm. while it's uh, an updated remake in a lot of ways it's kind of 2000 sensibilities it's still set in the same year the original was released which I thought was an interesting choice yeah that's nice and I guess like you know from a purely functional level it helps them get away from all the like cell phone yeah. issues and stuff like that and no one has to say there's no service but <laughs> yeah I think I do quite like that and they're on the way to like a Leonard or they've been to a Leonard Skinner concert they're trying or to go to one um, yeah. And they sing along to Sweet Home Alabama in the car, which is one of only two songs on the entire soundtrack. And it's also an anachronism because that song was not released until the following year. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, yeah, they um, they were very early adopters of uh, Leonard Skinner. <laughs> Maybe they'd heard a live version of it. <laughs> they were listening to a bootleg in the car. <laughs> yeah. this, it's one of those films where, like, it's, it definitely hinges on big moments. Mm. Like I feel like the bit that everyone will remember is the bit at the start where um, they pick up a hitchhiker, which is like quite a nice spin on the hitchhiker in the original movie, uh, where there's a character played by um, uh, Lauren German, who's in Lucifer. And I was like, oh, there she is. <laughs> Love Lucifer. <laughs> there she is, not for long. <laughs> not for long, no. And there's that amazing shot of the camera tracking back through the bullet hole. I didn't hole in enjoy that shot. I was like, Ugh. 
I don't know, I was feeling a bit sensitive. I was just like, oh, no, 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 I'm not into it. It's really horrible. Like, I remember, I was, that was when I was like, is this going to, like, still be gross? And it really mm. is. Yeah. Weirdly, the scene that stuck in my head is when the sheriff, who may or may not actually be the sheriff, it's never entirely clear, um, makes them all lie on the ground and just yells at them for a bit. Yeah, Ali Ermi, obviously a full metal jacket fame, mm. plays the sheriff, who, uh, now that I've watched the prequel... Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the beginning. Can I can confirm that he is not the sheriff? Okay. Oh, that's good. That's good background. Yeah. <laughs> should also confirm that you should not watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the beginning. It is awful. Okay, I won't. Um, <laughs> I think I think the film does sort of wink that he might not be the sheriff anyway. Yeah. yeah. But he's definitely having like an amazing time. He's having a lot of fun. He's really hot. Like if you need someone to just be horrible at your characters for the whole film, because if I not to use too much Leatherface, early Ernie barking obscenities at your characters is pretty solid <laughs> i just yeah um, i think that was the bit that really kind of upset me more than the the more than any of the kind of chainsaw shenanigans was just that that thing where it's it's the it's such a cliche now but it's like the authority figure that you go to for help turns out to be mm. worse than whatever you're fleeing from or as bad as or in league with yeah whatever you're fleeing from it's just really like something really upsetting about that yeah it's yeah there's a complete lack of anyone kind of empathetic and because I don't, I don't think it's scary in the same way that the original is the no. original because occasionally people talk about it being a comedy the original and I think I got it more until I watched it on the big screen and then it just really upset me I do, I've um, never had that I was I was really surprised because yeah when I was researching for this I saw a quote from Michael Bay where he said uh, they wanted to play it really straight and not comedy and I was just like you think the original one's a comedy yeah <laughs> traumatised <laughs> So people always bring up the end, the kind of the final act, and mm. the final scenes where like the dinner sequence, and I think I kind of I used to think like oh yeah I get it that's kind of like dark comedy, but then watching on the big screen after having been put through the whole of the rest of the film, mm. it's just they're just laughing at her being horrified, yeah, and, like unable to escape. And I was like oh no that's, that's just, horrible. This is nightmarish. That's really yeah. scary. Uh, nightmarish is a good word for this remake as well though. It has that like slightly nightmarish logic. You know the mm. the kind of when they pick up the hitchhiker and she can't she can barely speak and she's just saying I want to go home um, you're going the wrong way going he's a bad way, man yeah. she's kind of saying all these things and 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 ultimately at the end Jessica Biel will end up just as traumatized and just sort of mm. muttering the same things to someone who's picked her up so there's this very like nightmarish logic so sort of like that sense that you can't escape like you are just stuck in this place and you know if you try and re- it's almost like if you try and run you'll be sinking into porridge kind of nightmarish feeling of like you yeah, just like you can't you'll get reach away. the end of one bit and then back mm-hmm. up at the start like, yeah, yeah you're definitely. always forever driving past that sign for barbecue this is an interesting thing i've just read a bunch of um or maybe it's not interesting it's interesting to me a bunch of reviews about this where they say they've taken away the cannibal element from this film but i didn't think they had like i thought it was definitely in there maybe not as super explicit but there's the kind of barbecue sign and they cut the guy's leg off and kind of cure it in salt. Yeah. And the the hitchhiker, he wraps her in cling film, like he's going to put her in the fridge. Like I definitely thought there were mm-hmm. kind of nods to that. I I certainly thought they were probably cannibals. Yeah, I guess there there isn't a moment like in the original where like they feed grandpa blood. But, um... <laughs> I mean, they, no one picks up like a hand and takes a bite out of it, but yeah. but I thought it was definitely still kind of there. Yeah, it's odd kind of going back to it because I think it's it's a similar feeling how I've always felt about it mm. kind of held up as being like yeah it's kind of fine it's definitely the best of all the attempts to reboot it or prequel like, yeah because the, the beginning is a, is awful mm. um, there was Leatherface a few years ago by Marion Bastillo that was 
kind of not great. Yeah. But that wasn't as bad as Texas Chainsaw 3D, <laughs> which I think is 2013, which is atrocious. There'd been a couple of, um, is it 90s ones, like The Next Generation? Like, there'd mm. been a couple of sequels that were, like, really bad anyway. So all the kind of outrage brigade being like, how dare you touch our treasure classic? You're like, well, it kind of has had its name dragged through the mud already anyway. So... <laughs> It's true. It's it's what like I, because there's a new there's a new remake happening now as well. I think mm. or like a new origin story, and it's I'm always kind of surprised that people can't let it go. It's it's not the sort of how dare you keep trying to do a new text chainsaw. It's more just what is I don't know what there is left to do with it. There really isn't anything. Like I don't think it probably should never have been. It should never have had a sequel <laughs> or anything. It should have just <laughs> been here is this film. It's super disturbing. Like have that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, this one is is it's really odd because uh, obviously Marcus Nispel is German, and so this film does and doesn't do a lot of the sort of American puritanical slasher stuff that we're used to in these kinds of films. Um, mm. There are some sort of like hallmarks there, like the fact that as soon as you see Jessica Biel, she's wearing like a white vest, and you're like, ah, that's the final girl. I can spot that. You put her in the uniform, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it doesn't seem to kind of doesn't have that that same sense that you know they're gonna get punished for doing bad things if anything Je- uh, Jessica Biel's character Erin is punished every time she tries to do a good thing so yeah yeah like she's trying to she's trying to help this girl by the side of the road and she gets punished for that she's trying to not just dump her corpse somewhere but she's trying to like do the right thing she gets punished for that she's trying to help um oh I didn't catch if he had a name the old guy with no legs in the house she tries to help him even when he just asks her to do something repulsive. Um, and it just every everything she does where she's trying to be nice to someone, it goes wrong until in the end she has to revert to something that she learned in juvie and, and like do some violence. And that's how she triumphs, which I think, I don't know, they have a strange final girl, really. Yeah, I guess that's true. I just feel like it fits in. Because, uh, you know, we're going to talk about how it, um, like it definitely seems to foreshadow a lot of the nastier mm. um like kind of gory horror that was about to come, like Saw was about to come uh, a couple of years or a year or two yet later, I think. Mm-hmm. And it definitely sets a tone both kind of in terms of how violent and kind of basement torture it is, and also like the the colour scheme. Yeah. But also, yeah, there's definitely like a a turn towards or like a sorry a revival of um, don't stop driving <laughs> like, if you're going anywhere. Like just keep going. Like if you stop anywhere. People will not help you. People are <laughs> yeah. going to try and eat you, or yeah, just murder the shit out of you. Yeah, because obviously there's kind of all those uh, like wrong turn movies and. Yeah. Oh, they're so tiresome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's very, it is very torturous. That really struck me as well. Like the the meat hooks thing is horrendous, um, mm. and and the salt thing because you kind of like. I think it is in there for cannibalism, but also because you think, oh my God, like as if it doesn't hurt enough anyway. Um, (laughs) And then like he has, that character has to like beg Eren to kill him, to put him out of his misery. And so she just stabs Mm. him in the gut and lets him bleed out. And you're like, hang on, (laughs) surely there there was a nicer way you could have done that. Come on, Eren. Just make it worse, Eren. What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) But but even even the scene where the nasty sheriff is... um, trying to get the nerdy guy Morgan to to recreate what happened with the hitchhiker and he like makes him sit in the seat where she was that's all covered in like blood and bits of her brain and you're like 
this is really horrible. It's just so disgusting. <laughs> it's just, it has something about it. And I don't think it has the intensity of the original, but it has its own brand of just really, yeah, nasty, icky, mm. grimy horribleness. Definitely. Yeah, surprised at how kind of early it came. Like, if, if I'd watched mm. it, um, I would have assumed that, oh, that'd be like mid-decade, like after everything yeah. else had started. But it's really, it is ahead of, ahead of the curve. And, and yeah, like markedly different from the other remakes we were talking about last time in kind of in terms of everything and it is a lot cheaper like I think it was made for just under 10 million dollars mm-hmm. um, cheapest film Michael Bay's ever made I think <laughs> um, but it worked like it really struck a chord like it, yeah I think you know for all that we talk about uh, why would you keep going back to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre I guess it is like a really simple concept that like, it's just it's a name that everyone knows and all, all you really need to know about it is that it's going to be scary. Like, you're just going to have people being chased. Yeah, I think that's all you, all you do really need. I think um, I read in a Michael Bay interview where he was saying the whole point of this was, yeah, you could make you can make horror movies cheap. You can make the Texas Chainsaw Massacre cheaply. Um, and that he specifically wanted it to be kind of uh, a backlash against all the kind of toothless stuff that had been coming out. He, it was It was... The whole point was to pick something nasty. Mm. Uh, you might as well go for the nastiest one and do that. <laughs> um, and yeah, Marcus Nespel saying this, much the same thing that yeah, he he just wanted it to be horrible, <laughs> uh, and they succeeded, I guess, because yeah, <laughs> it really is. It's interesting. Kind of, just a couple of notes, like Scott Kozar, who wrote it, wrote the Amityville Horror remake a couple of years later, and then he did the Crazies remake huh. at the end of the decade. That is interesting because I feel like that and Amityville Horror have in common much the same thing in that they just get everything going a lot sooner and a yeah. lot um, more intensely. Yeah, just come yeah, get get to it, get to it as quickly as possible. Yeah, it's just like get on with it. Like Leatherface is showing up really early on and just going to start killing people, and it's just. Did you, I'm just thinking about the the Leatherface appearances. Isn't it really weird seeing him sit at a sewing machine? <laughs> I don't know why. Like it's one of those things. Like. Um, that you sort of think of normally when you're like leaving the cinema like oh but how did they make that mask or oh where did he get that custom <laughs> lumber plate from for his truck and you like you never see the kind of um preparations that serial killers have to do unless you're watching behind the mask the legend of leslie vernon or whatever mm. it's called the rise of leslie rise vernon of but yeah you don't you don't normally see that and you just you just see him <laughs> sitting there at his little sewing machine making himself a face mask it's just it's just something sort of absurd about it we're going to get to this in a bit later, but um, one of the things that is, seems ridiculous about the Friday Thirteenth remake is that they go to great lengths to explain like how Jason does all his stuff. So maybe that's in, which is also directed by Marcus Nispel, like end of the decade. So maybe that was something he took away from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Because like people really loved seeing Leatherface do the sewing. We need to make sure that people understand everything about Jason. For sure, there is that moment in the Friday the Thirteenth remake where he unveils yeah. the hockey mask, and he's—you can tell, like, I think there's like a little um, crescendo in the music, like you can tell he's expecting people yeah. to almost clap, like, <laughs> "Yay!" So weird. But yeah, so we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves there with um, Friday the Thirteenth. So yeah. the next one on our list is House of Wax, which is back to Dark Castle, but yeah, two years after Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and it definitely feels like it's a film that's caught between fulfilling the same lovely dark castle USPs of big sets, lovely production design, yeah, kind of campy tone, but also is like a post-Saw, post-Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. So, um, yeah, it needs to be nasty, it needs to be violent, it needs to be cruel. And yeah, I think it's one that I... I didn't see at the cinema, I don't think, but I did see shortly after it came out, 
um, and I remembered it quite fondly, or like sort of semi-fondly. The plot of House of Wax, is, it's the second remake. The original film was Mystery of the Wax Museum, and it was remade as House of Wax with Vincent Price. And it was remade in 2005 by director Helme Colazzera, who had gone to direct Orphan and a bunch of wonderful Liam Neeson action movies uh, recently. <laughs> and The Shallows. Okay, they're not all wonderful, but I do greatly enjoy them. <laughs> <laughs> Run All Night is terrible, but the others are fun. Um, but yeah. Oh, I like Run All Night. I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, so I think I, I think I did see House of Wax in the cinema at the time, and I didn't like it then. And I don't like it now. <laughs> oh, no. There's definitely bits of it I don't like, but there's enough in it that I just find quite wonderful. So yeah, the plot is that it's a bunch of friends who are on their way to a football game that's like the biggest football game. Super Bowl, probably. God knows. Like Same as going to a Leonard Skinner concert. They're going to a thing that's very exciting for them. <laughs> it doesn't really matter because they'll never get there. <laughs> exactly, yeah. They'll never get there uh, because they're waylaid and end up having to... Uh, yeah, they have to stop in this small town or like they get taken to this very creepy small town to look for, you know, that part of a car that you always need to find in a horror movie because it's broken. Like probably the fan bell. It's always the fan bell. <laughs> it, do you know what? It is, it is <laughs> so often fan the belt fan does. belt that when I got my car, uh, uh, my second-hand car, I was thinking like, oh, I, maybe it needs a new fan belt. And I was like looking through the um, service book thing. Well, it's never had one. It's certainly old enough. And I, I called the garage and they were like, what car do you have? So I told them and they were like, that doesn't even have a fan belt. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So at least I probably won't break down in a backwards cannibal town. Probably not. But you should probably have a backup just in case, like a spare fan belt, just to have. But yes, sorry, anyway, back to the town. They end up in this small town, which has a lovely big house of wax, wax museum that's made of wax, like literally. And it turns out that the reason why the town is so quiet and there's only one, or is it just one person running around, is because... Uh, yeah, everyone has uh, been coated in wax and turned into wax dolls, and so they're going to need to wax act fast if they don't want the same thing to happen to them. <laughs> Again, like I think it's got that dark castle thing of like, this is such a daft idea for a big, like a pretty big budget horror movie. Like it's it looks amazing. Uh, the wax house looks great. The wax people look really creepy. There's just some like yeah, the climax of the film where the house of wax is set on fire and starts melting around them, and they have to like kind of goo their way out. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just wonderful yeah so I think as much as there are things about it that I, I'm not a big fan of there's just all those like really nasty like I think we talked about the uh, like why are we doing this yeah the bit where John Abrahams is clawing away at Jared Padalecki's waxy face so, so <laughs> just, awful just, just and he like pulls a bit off and then keeps going I just I really hate that scene it's like burned into my brain I can't I can't because it. it wasn't part of the um, sort of appeal I don't know if this was officially marketing but it was like Paris Hilton's in this movie and she's going to die it was yeah it was part of the marketing uh, see Paris die was um, was part of the marketing uh, and there's yeah there's that um, whole them trying to get out like like you talked about in the um, intro episode and I was like oh was that a thing like in found footage yeah. movies there is very much that scene where they're trying to get her having sex on oh, camera oh god I, yeah I'd forgotten about that that's that's I hate that. I hate that. Like, it's so strange. This is only kind of uh, 15 years ago, and yet it's so vile. Like, the misogyny behind the idea that you should watch this movie because this woman who has had her sex tape leaked is so kind of detestable that we should 
want to see her die on screen for mm. our entertainment. Like, like, you sort of laugh and then it's like, hang on, what the fuck? That's so wrong and horrible and disgusting. Yeah, and it kind of seems very much of that time, though. Like, it's, yeah, it, obviously not excusing it, but I'm sure there must have been some kind of backlash against it, but it, just, it seems to fit in with that era of, um, like, this, this thing's going to be, like, that thing you hate. You hate it, right? Yeah, we're going to kill it in this yeah. one. I think uh, as much as, obviously, there are still lots of the problems with the horror genre and with um, not just misogyny, but everything else, every other ism, racism, homophobia, everything. But, like, it felt so much harder to be a female horror fan in this era than it does now. Like, it, it very much did feel like at that time, like, horror was for teenage boys. That was the kind of, like... Um, certainly what the marketing seemed to think and so there was that sort of tension in like why do I even want to see this what is this this isn't for me hmm. yeah things will get better once we start to get towards the end yeah. of the decade but uh yeah <laughs> I hope so <laughs> yeah and Alicia Cuthbert does get put through like a lot she's really um put through the ringer and there's, there's the whole the bit that I'd remembered being really nasty is yeah her sticking a finger out yeah. the metal grate um, but I'd forgotten that she also has her lips glued shut. Um, yes, that's horrible. Ugh. So yeah, as, as much as like as nasty as the Jared Padalecki stuff is, like she gets it, I think, as bad. I do get very easily kind of blinded by things like melting wax houses and yeah, the wax people. But yeah, it it does feel like it's. Uh, I think part of the reason why I find it interesting is it does feel like a film that's caught between like two mm-hmm. different masters and like it. Like, it, on the one hand, it desperately wants to be, like, House on Haunted Hill, right down to the house. I mean, but then it's sort of, it's 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 kind of very much like a teen horror movie. Like, there's no, there's no Jeffrey Rush or, like, F. Murray Abraham in this movie. You get Brian Van Holt playing mm. twins. And he's, like, he's fine. I've got nothing against Brian Van Holt. Like, he's pretty good in it. <laughs> he's the handsome mechanic, and he's uh, the wig-wearing uh, brother, twin brother. He's the one who makes all the lovely wax people. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it, feel, it, does, it definitely feels like, they've really pivoted away from uh, like kind of almost that semi-prestige thing that they had going. Mm, yeah, where they had like actors with some credibility maybe or, or, or like, like I guess just like mainstream mm. credibility is what I mean. Like not just, I'm not saying that none of these people are good actors, but like, you know, that they're that household name kind of yeah, so, uh, like the, the cast is very much, um, yeah, kind of Alicia Cuthbert here is great and I'd be able to love her, but um, yeah, she would have been like doing twenty four and stuff, but which is yeah, sludgy TV TV people, isn't it? Yeah, so like Chad Michael Murray and Jared Padalecki and uh, uh, the others. Chad Michael Murray does a lot of looking very stern, walking around in a hoodie. That's kind of basically what I remember about his performance. But yeah, then, yeah, like none of them are characters. They're particularly they're all just there to get um, crunched or melted or um, coated. But it does have Dewey Crow from Justified in it. <laughs> Again, TV people. He's great, though. He is, yeah, he's great. Um, I remember at the time being very, very concerned about whether a building made of so much wax that kind of the whole thing can collapse uh, would have had any structural integrity in the first place. Mm. <laughs> like, just can you do that? I don't think you can. Because <laughs> yeah, it looks hot. Like, it, they're in the south. <laughs> Built this house in December, and come August, it was gone. <laughs> there definitely there was a lawsuit against Warner Brothers uh, because of the melting of the house the house of wax did cause a lot of damage oh wow really so they 
so I guess they you could make it because they did. Well, they did. They did make but... a house or enough to melt and put actors through. But um, where was it? I'm just having a look now. Lawsuit. Yeah, um, the seven million dollar lawsuit according to Wikipedia um, that the productions were grossly negligent over the fire, uh, which destroyed part of Gold Coast Warner Brothers Movie World Studios. Wow. Yeah. I guess it's kind of by the time you've got that much melted wax and fire and stuff it, it, what what can you do it's just going to do what it wants to do <laughs> although you would hope that someone would know how to manage it it's, it's not it's not for me to say how you can like, it's just like yeah there's literally no way that you can control burning <laughs> wax um, but yeah also just a random note that it was written by uh, Chad and Kerry Hayes who would go on to write The Reaping and Whiteout for Dark Castle but they'd also write The Country what? I didn't know that I was about to say wow they're rubbish and then over at the country. <laughs> yeah, wow. Uh, so yeah, they, they found, they kind of bounced through the noughties until they, yeah, they found James Wan. <laughs> he wasn't hard to find by then. <laughs> no. I think that, we kind of see less and less of the sort of big wax house kind of tone. That sort of campiness pretty much starts to fade out. But we are, by this point, very much getting into the time of, we'll literally make, remake everything. Um, yeah, from... Yeah, prom night, which I did rewatch and is completely forgettable. I had seen it before and I'd kind of forgotten most of it, but it's really boring and I would not recommend it. Although it's got Idris Elba and James Ranzone in it from The Wire, so that's nice. But that's one of the just like that remaking it adds nothing. Like it's just it's it's a it's a prom night in a hotel and Jonathan Skeech plays a really boring stalker serial killer. If they remade Prom Night Two, I'd be more up for it. They should, yeah. And yeah, it's kind of like the Hitcher, which is I've already said I'm not a fan of. <laughs> No, down with the hitcher. <laughs> um, yeah, there was one that I just like, as we're kind of like charging through the slasher remakes, I did just want to say, like, I watched Black Christmas again, the Glenn Morgan one. And that does, unlike Prom Night or, you know, a lot of these movies, it does try and do something really different with the story. Like, it adds the whole backstory of Pavilion, there's all these flashbacks. Uh, and it's, it's really mm. nasty. Like, it's kind of got some silliness to it, but it's mostly really unpleasant. But shot in these kind of amazing, deep, dark, sickly like reds and greens there's, like, there's a lot of like Christmas lighting kind of flashing on like horrible blood and like he cuts his parents up into like Christmas cookie shapes and stuff and puts it in the oven like it's really unpleasant but it's kind of I find it interesting because I like Willard uh, Glenn Morgan's other Naughties remake which is not very gory at all and which flopped and lost a lot of money and then they're watching there's, there's very honest documentaries on both the Willard and Black Christmas DVDs where Glenn Morgan's talking about how hard he finds it and is just panicking about everything. And on the Black Christmas one, he's kind of quite open about this not being the kind of film that he would want to watch because he doesn't really like gore and nastiness. He kind of wants oh, wow. to make sort of spooky character-driven movies, but he's like, they oh, won't let so me make sad. another one if this flops. And, oh, it, and obviously it did. This is a yeah, tragedy. It's, I think Aww. it's a really like mean-spirited, horrible film, so like I think sympathy can be mm. fairly limited, but he's obviously trying to do something that he thinks people want. Yeah, but I think that's the sad yeah. part, isn't it? Is that it's not even that he's doing that because that's what he wants to make. So at least he can be like, well, I made this film and nobody liked it, but it was my vision. It's like, I tried to do what you wanted and you hated it. And it's, there we yeah, go at the like, end. Yeah, I didn't, you didn't see this film that I was really passionate about. So I made this one that, and he talks about how much he likes the original because it doesn't show you all the gore and stuff. Like how like powerful it is for that. And it's Aww. just like, yeah, but you know, audiences these days want gore. So let's give them gore. And it's like, oh no, buddy. Did we want gore? I think we probably did. I think so, but it's it's kind of weirdly cut. Like it's so over the top in Black Christmas. Like 
Mm. Billy's kind of getting in all these crawl spaces, and there's like that the eye, like you can see his eye, and like he pops up one of the tiles in the bathroom so he can stare at someone showering. And he's kind of in all the crawl spaces, and it's so there's all like these kind of cranked camera angles as it's coming up at weird. It's such a, again, almost, almost dark castle-ish in its sort of complete commitment to a weird, like sensibility that doesn't <laughs> seem like anyone asked for. <laughs> but but yeah, yeah, I think we did want gore at that point, but the gore was coming in a very different way. I think where that it was a lot more like weirdly low key, like it didn't need to be sort of fluorescent lit. No, it didn't need to be fluorescent lit, but it needed the fluorescent strip bulb lighting of a basement or um, mm. a single kind of hanging light bulb in a weird house. It's really hard to define like what it is that marks that shift from like slasher movies that had been violent before um, into this like torture porn era. Like, is it like the length of time that the shot lingers on something? Is it like the amount of time that a character is made to suffer before mm. they die? Like, what is it that makes it? torch porn and not just a slasher i don't have an answer for that but maybe that's maybe that's something i'll work like on in black christmas there's things like the, there are bits that are really unpleasant like pe- there's people getting bags put over their head and then stabbed through the bag which just it, like watching that now is still like oh that's oof. weirdly like even though that, that's not particularly gory that's just nasty but like there's yeah. really there's like silly deaths like people getting stabbed with candy canes and stuff and like bits of ice <laughs> um and uh, yeah, Black Christmas remake came out in 2006, it was the same year that uh, the Hills of Eyes remake came out, uh, which we'll be talking about um, uh, later, in a later episode dealing with Splatpack filmmakers. Mm, not looking forward to that no. one. No. Uh, it's going to be a rough <laughs> rewatch, I think, but I remember that one, like, that, the gore in that feels like it's maybe more of what was kind of being asked for in terms of it's, it's shocking, but really, you know, as, as ridiculous as bits of Hills of Eyes are, you know, it, it's it's the kind of ow, that looks like it really fucking hurts. Mm. Um, rather than like, oh, that's so like weird, like inventive. Where did like, how did they use a candy cane to stab that guy? Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, that's sort of, someone could do this to you. That's the really, yeah, just uncomfortableness. Like, yeah, the nastiest bits of the original are the ones where it's just kind of, yeah, someone suffocating and then mm. not being found. That's always the bit that gets me. But yeah, so, so gore, people want nasty, realistic gore and they want like... It was a criticism levelled against a lot of uh, noughties horror movies and remakes in particular. I think that everything was starting to look the same. It was the same sort of sickly, kind of curdled sepia. Like, mm. sepia's gone bad. And, yeah, like, kind of oozing stuff and just nasty mm. core. And it feels like yeah. there's some of that in Friday the 13th. That sort of, like... It's just Marcus Nispel coming back at the end of the decade to do another horror remake. And it's sort of... It's a weird... It's sort of trying to be a greatest hits, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it packs in so much stuff so quickly. It's it's sort of interesting that he says that... Um, like th- So this was 2009, so we're heading towards the end of all that kind of stuff and, and like paranormal activity popping up and things. Um, and that, uh, Marcus Nispel said that studio mandated, like, this cannot be torture porn. Like, we don't want torture porn from this. And whereas uh, that when they'd done... Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, they very much wanted to avoid any comedy, any jokiness. This one leans right into all that silliness. So, yeah, plot-wise, we deal with the plot of the entire first Friday the 13th movie before the, pre- the credits roll. So literally the credits, pre-credits sequence is um, Mrs. Voorhees being beheaded by unnamed final girl from the past. <laughs> what do you think about that? Is it just that by now, Friday the 13th is so 
uh, synonymous with Jason Voorhees that they couldn't make one where he wasn't the killer. Yeah, I think so. I think the Friday Thirteenth sort of whole thing has always been a bit of a of I've never been a huge fan of the franchise. Like I like the first one and. The fourth one's pretty good. I saw Jason Lives for the first time fairly recently and really enjoyed it. But Jason X has always been my sort of... If I'm going to watch a Jason movie, I'll watch Jason X, which I think, if you're a Friday the 13th fan, is really not the way to go. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I do remember, like, by the time this came out, I think there had been a few attempts to remake it. Like, it had been in the works for a while, and it would seem to be one where... The Friday the 13th fan base always seems to have a very clear idea of what they want. or they kind of. But it's always Jason. Like, it's never... Like, like Hellraiser, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like you kind of, they wouldn't want like a Julia film with mm. the Hellraiser reboot. I feel like people would demand this. This may that may have been a bad comparison. <laughs> demand Pinhead. We demand Pinhead. Yeah, and so like, yeah, it, it's interesting that rather than just make the first film again, yeah, like you said, they just make it all about Jason and, and that we need to see how he lives and see what he does and <laughs> um, see how he survives in the woods alone. Oh god, yeah. There's about five different films happening at once. <laughs> like <it's... laughs> but yeah, and it's silly and it is like gory and it's yeah, like so there's the pre the, the bit at the start, there's like pre credit sequence and then there's another plot line with people looking for weed and there's a plot line with Jerry <laughs> Padlecki again. Um he's back. Yeah. Um, but he's been like I think Supernatural hadn't started when he was on House of Wax and now he's T V star Jared Padlecki. Right. Yeah, looking for his missing sister and there's also a group of college kids <laughs> yeah I think in my notes I was like some 20 somethings <laughs> <laughs> people of a certain young age yeah. um, go into a house for a party yeah there's so much in it and there's, it, it feels like they've you know done like a survey about what Friday the 13th fans want um, just kind of ticked off everything mm-hmm. but at the same time they've done that thing that I think I said this last time that all these um, remakes they're so desperate to kind of explain things that don't necessarily need explaining so like all of these movies uh, even that you're just saying with them um, Black Christmas they just have a lot of backstory in them that you don't necessarily need or want yeah I mean it is completely preposterous that Jason who died as a child in a lake <laughs> somehow has survived in the woods by himself to grow up to be this hulking monstrosity that's going to hack up teenagers like it doesn't make any sense. It never has made any sense. And and I feel like the original franchise at some point kind of leaned into that and they were like, yep, he's going to be reanimated by lightning. Mm-hmm. Just go with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't... There's nothing you can do about it. It's just magic. Um, whereas this one seems like it just wants to just be really explainy and, like, make it real somehow. Although at the same time, like, I feel like their maths is a bit odd because they, they do the same thing as Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the beginning so that that pre-credit sequence with Mrs. Voorhees is set in 1980 and then they go, present day. <laughs> You're like, okay, <laughs> this is 2009 at the time and they're like, well, that camp was shut down about 20 years ago and you're like, this is closer to 30, guys. <laughs> like, even then. <laughs> but I also, yeah, and into the explaining bit, like, he's got a, sequ- a series of elaborate tunnels and, like, that's not... Don't need to know that. That's not interesting or scary. But also, how do you explain that? Does he been digging them? Like, yeah, has has he been out there digging? Oh a no, there was a line where they said about a mine, and there's a there's a mine nearby, wasn't there? Just seems irresponsible to have tunnels that near a lake. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that does seem irresponsible. Seems irresponsible to like then build uh, like a luxury lodge out there in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Just a bit strange. Just an odd choice. It does feel like at this point it's starting to lean away from. I think, like you said, that the studio had mandated no torture porn, but um, 
yeah, this is Platinum Dunes. Yeah, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre that was like uh, Amityville Horror was, and the mm. Texas Chainsaw Massacre beginning prequel. And it feels like it's at least it kind of it looks different to Texas mm-hmm. Chainsaw Massacre. Like it is. I'm glad it looks green. Like I think it would have been really like I couldn't have dealt with it if it looked like yellow again. <laughs> but at the same time, there's, there's nothing distinctive about it either. Like Texas Chainsaw Massacre's got a distinctive look. Mm. This feels much more like. Someone's convinced Marcus Nispel to make a Friday the 13th remake and he didn't really have any ideas for it, so they just did it. And the cast is pretty forgettable. Yeah, it really is, apart from Jared Padalecki, I don't... And, uh, um... Oh, I can't even remember his name. I think it's Ben something. It's Ginsberg in Mad Men. Yes, Ginsberg from Um... Mad Men. I'd forgotten about that. (laughs) And he he goes pretty quick. Yes. Yeah, he's kind of the same role as as, um, Eric Belfour in in Texas Chainsaw Massacre and that you're like... (laughs) Isn't this guy a nerd? Oh no, he's not a nerd. Oh, he's dead anyway. Yeah. It doesn't matter. They're trying to convince <laughs> me that he's not a nerd, but like, oh, he's dead. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, that just—it's so strange how quickly they try to just power through so much stuff, so that like you've got nudity in the first ten minutes. Mm. You've got even like elaborate kills within the first sort of fifteen twenty minutes. Like Jason's roasting somebody in a in a yeah. sleeping bag. Like he's it's like. Guys, Jason is a dude who walks around with a machete. That's how he kills you. <laughs> That's what Jason does. Like, he doesn't have a bow and arrow. He doesn't... No, as well, much as... I was, I, was remember, I was trying to remember good kills from this movie, and I remembered Ryan Hansen getting an arrow through the head when he's on a speedboat. Yeah, literally. And then and then the speedboat like nearly hits his girlfriend in the lake, <laughs> and you're like, Jason is a mastermind of like angles and trajectories. <laughs> yeah, completely. Like, yeah, the, the boat turns around. But yeah, it's... Yeah, I mean, it's a problem with Jason, really. But, like, it doesn't want to have Jason be the killer. Like, they try and, like, like update him, but, like, not too much. Marcus Nispel actually said they saw him as the anti-hero in this film. That Jason right. is not the villain. The villain is the rich kid who doesn't want people to spill beer on his carpet. I mean, that guy is a dick, for sure. That guy is a dick. However... Jason has just murdered like 20 people. Yeah, his body count is really high. If I'm going to choose a villain, I'm picking the guy who's just (laughs) murdered everyone. Like, you know, maybe it's it's expensive carpet. (laughs) I don't know. And I I do remember it coming out and this was, um, I think this was, yeah, obviously 2009, like we said, and it's, I remember feeling kind of the fatigue of like, oh, and I think because I wasn't a massive fan of the Friday the 13th movies, I was a bit... I didn't even go to see it at the cinema, actually, because I think I heard people say it wasn't that great, and I was like, eh, I don't really care about Friday the 13th. But I think partly because it had so many plot lines, I had misremembered it as being okay. <laughs> I only remembered, like, part of yeah, it. Yeah, like, I remember, oh, like, at least there's stuff happening. Like, and that being a plus. And, it, you know, stuff does happen, but in a really not, like, watching it again for this, I was like, oh, no, actually, this is really bad. Yeah. Like, the fucking joke with the hockey stick. Um... <laughs> I really hated that. I just, for some reason, I was just furious. As soon as that character picked up that hockey stick, I was like, I know where this is going and I hate it. Because, <laughs> yeah, like, like you, like, I, I, didn't, I didn't watch this film first time around, so this is a completely new, new fun experience for me and um, not keen. Yeah, that's a shame. It is uh, very obsessed with ladies sticking their tops off. Yes. <laughs> She's quite, I mean, like, there are so many bare breasts in this film it is ridiculous just just like immediately in the first well not the first scene because that's Mrs Voorhees but like <laughs> almost in the like the, the first scene sort of post credits then there's um yeah there's some sexy business going on and then like 
there's just constantly boobs. Mm. Like, just, just, like, why, why are you water skiing topless? Like, this film is just gross. It's just a proper, like, it's like a horror movie for bros, and I hate it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Like, all the weed jokes as well. It's just like, oh, just fuck off. Like, it's so boring. <laughs> it is boring, yeah. There's no, there's no personality to it at all. Because it's, it's like it's not it's not even committed to being sort of silly. There's no sort of like self awareness to the sort of broy sort of boobs outness of it all. It's just kind of like it just oh that's what people expect. That's what the people demand for this kind of thing. Yeah, the whole thing just feels really half assed in that way of just like oh yeah. It's this thing where it's like so much is going on and there are so many characters and so many plot lines, but instead of feeling. Um, sort of invigorated by that it just feels like someone forgot to tidy it up like it's about three scripts mashed together Mm. there there are characters in there who you just completely forget exist because they're just off in a room by themselves doing something and like you've just forgotten that they're there yeah Yeah, it's good and it came out in the same year as My Bloody Valentine 3D which is a film that I do remember going to see and having an absolutely brilliant time at the time that 3D is the best use of 3D with Coraline second place but it's the most fun yeah the best experience I've had watching a 3D movie and it doesn't hold up as well as you'd hope on uh, the small screen, but it is at least committed to. It, it knows exactly what it is in a way that I don't think Friday the Thirteenth does. I think Friday the Thirteenth knows what people want it to be. Like it's, it's this weird Frankenstein Jason creature of about seven different movies. Yeah. Um, and my, Valentine, my bloody Valentine, at least, like it is uh, like a gory, silly throwback um, that does have a lot of nudity and and. Yeah, just a lot of kind of obvious gags, but there's kind of, I don't know, I've got a lot more time for it, I think, because of, maybe because of the 3D-ness of it all, maybe because because I have such happy memories of being really, like, uncomfortable in my seat when I think it's, I think it's Kevin Ty, either Kevin Ty or Tom Atkins, like, pointing a gun, like, directly <laughs> at the screen and kind of moving it slowly around, but yeah, I remember, that one I remember we went to see it at uni and because we all got split up on the way and someone didn't make it in because it was sold out it was really popular (laughs) we all just split up and sit in different seats like it was just it was rammed that's 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 a nice way to experience like a big silly splattery horror movie is like a packed out cinema that's what you want ideally like a sort of late night um screening where you've got lots of sugary snacks and everyone's screaming around mm. you and jumping that's really fun like that is the ideal ideal yeah. setting for a horror movie yeah there's a lot of <laughs> screaming there's a lot of shouting at the screen um yeah i think it's just the kind of the, the 3d flatness of it all i think it does add a lot i don't know yeah i think it's one of those films where i will no matter kind of what how often i watch it i'll also always remember it as being mm. a cinema experience and it's never going to live up to that but um yeah, that was a huge hit as well, and they never made a sequel to it. But yeah, it made about $100 million, I think, My Bloody Valentine 3D, which is amazing given, yeah, like, presumably not that many people had seen My Bloody Valentine. No, it feels like like such a sort of lesser one to me. I'm really surprised by that. It, it's, I think, because it uses some of the original plot, but not that much. Like, it, it does a mm. spin on it. It's sort of, it's a fun footnote. I don't think it's going to be, like, revisited by a lot of people as time goes on, but... Um, <laughs> I feel like you're hesitating now because you don't want to move on to our final big name remake. I'm putting it off. <laughs> <laughs> so the final big slasher remake that we have to talk about from this decade, well, sort of this decade, is uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. So that came out in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, like much of these other ones, the kind of selling point for it was that it took away all the jokiness 
uh, of the original movie. So it was taking a franchise that had very much sort of disintegrated into just one-liners and Freddy winking <laughs> uh, and, and tries to make it scary again. So, yeah, uh, Jonathan does not like this movie. <laughs> no, no, I hate it. <laughs> I'm just looking at your face like, no. Um, I... Um, so this is this is like the one thing that really threatens our friendship because I love this film. <laughs> I I really enjoy it and it's it's weird because of the of the kind of classic slasher franchises, Nightmare on Elm Street was always my favourite. Um, I think just because of the creativity of it, the kind of the idea that you're you're um, attacked in your nightmares, so all the deaths are extremely elaborate and strange. So it's not just a guy with a knife is going to get you; it's when you fall asleep whatever nastiness is in your subconscious is going to be your undoing which is far more creative and far more terrifying i think however (laughs) after having watched the 2010 remake which stars uh jackie haley as freddie i just it's so nasty like i know that this is (laughs) i'm already in my head going how are you going to justify yourself because in so many of these cases i'm like oh god it's so unnecessarily mean this film is extremely mean and it kind of that's why I like it I think I think it's because even in the first original ah, a cat just started climbing up me <laughs> just stuck her claws in my leg <laughs> in a very Freddy Krueger yeah. way <laughs> um, so yeah so even with the first original Nightmare on Elm Street I think that there is a degree of humour um, and like just a bit of sort of cheekiness uh, to it, but I think the idea is so dark that this is a child murderer slash child molester, depending on which film you're talking about, um, who is literally like haunting the children of the angry parents who killed him for being a child murderer. Um, and yeah, like that that didn't get rid of him. He's still there. He's still coming back for their kids, and he's become this kind of collective boogeyman the story that you tell late at night about you know freddie's gonna get you if you're not good but he's this like real kind of symbol of a of a scar in their psyche like i think that's terrifying it's not something that i want to be making jokes about so i think that the fact that it comes across as so so horrible and so explicitly like that's what this is he is kind of a repressed memory he's something surfacing in these kids who were the in this case they were the ones who were being menaced by him as children so i think in the original he was supposed to be a child murderer and then the parents i guess went on and had other kids um but yeah in this one he's very much he is the thing that ruined their childhoods and he's he's you know been taking them to dark places and doing nasty things to them um and then when they become teenagers like these memories resurface and a lot of the kills are like kind of like suicides and and while it's tricky to say that a a sort of inherently silly horror movie should be dealing with with topics that horrendously dark something about this movie really worked for me it just really like hit me in the stomach as like yeah this is this is a real horror like sometimes you want to watch a horror movie and even a slasher where you're going to have fun and you're going to cheer and you're going to drink beer with your friends and it's going to be a good time this movie for me is not a good time at all like it just it really really disturbs me there are multiple scenes in it towards the end where kind of people realize what's going on where um there's uh there's a realization at the end that the whole don't go to sleep because he gets you in your dreams thing has meant that the kids like nancy has been pushing herself to stay awake and stay awake and stay awake so that freddie can't get her um and they kind of find out that 
if you are that sleep deprived, you may eventually fall into a coma. And that that is kind of Freddy's end game is that he wants her to be in a coma so that he can just attack her forever. That I just feel sick. It's just it's it's something that's just I don't know why I can't I can't explain it in any better way other than like that just strikes me as such a horrendously nasty idea that it just really hits the part of my brain that wants to be scared and I'm like yes I'm fucking terrified. <laughs> your your explanation of it it makes me want to watch it again and this happens every time. <laughs> uh, and then not... every time you're like nope. Yeah, that's not the experience I have with it. Like, I, I definitely hear what you're saying. And I think there are, like like you said, there are ideas in it that I think, yeah, like you said, um, are really horrific. I think I just don't like the film. I think it's it's it feels like the nastiness isn't earned in a way. Or like it's it feels mm. kind of cheap. I think that's okay. my, my beef with it. Just it feels like there are like shit jokes thrown in. And uh, this is, I, get, like, I think I was saying to Sarah earlier, this is... This is the second time that I've watched it for a podcast we've done, and um, this is the third time I've seen it overall. And the first time I just, I really just flat out hated it. I couldn't, yeah, didn't know anything else to say about it. Second time I was like, oh, some nice ideas. And then this time my uh, compliment is that there's some very nice scene transitions. Yes, um, yeah, between, there are, there are. Um, uh, there's a very nice scene where Carl Gown is swimming and then surfaces in a like a yeah. giant pool in a disused factory. Yes, in a in a nightmare. Yeah, and it's those those night those waking to nightmare transitions are done quite nicely. <laughs> I don't know. It just feels like none of them feel like characters. I think all the char- like the I don't like the performances really. Apart from Carl Gallner, obviously, he's great. Carl Gallner always, 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 <laughs> <laughs> always Carl Gallner. We, we love him and his sad cherub face. We do. Yeah, it just it feels like I don't know. Then it feels cynical and. I don't know. Yeah, there's something about the nastiness of it that feels maybe because I do love the original so much. And I love, you know, even the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels I acknowledge are not very good. I still love them um, <laughs> and will happily watch a Nightmare on Elm Street movie kind of any time, really. Yeah, that it did feel like it maybe is like, a, yeah, partly a personal thing that it feels like someone did come in and mess with something I really like. Mm. Um, yeah, the, the child molestation stuff really. Uh, just doesn't doesn't work for me. I can see how I can see what you mean with that. Um, at the same time, I think that it sort of does start to factor into the original franchise. Sometimes there's there's mm. they kind of hint at that, and and it just feels like they can't quite say that because it is like the worst nightmarish thing. Like you don't want to talk about child abuse. Like that's just yeah, we don't yeah. want that. Whereas this one's just like we're just going all in. Like that's we're just gonna put it on the table. Yeah, because I mean, you kind of wonder like, oh, if they'd made. Yeah, the original now would they have been a lot more explicit about it because yeah, like you said he's a, he's a child murderer mm. in um, the original movie and yeah as, as Freddy gets increasingly ridiculous like his taunts get a lot kind of yeah more lurid and um, yeah so I just feel like they, like you said they do kind of start to kind of hint at it a mm. lot more and then yeah later than this it's, it's more I think it's yeah it's all the flashback stuff really just a lot of it's um, a lot of the things that annoy me about it it's just that yeah like the way they they kind of it's it's kind of overshot and the here here here's Jackie or Haley like you know in, like as as a handyman mm. taking people to the basement it just feels like all of that just feels really sort of um unnecessary i mean once again it's the fucking explaining the backstory that we just yeah. don't need like i don't <laughs> want that but yeah like every single movie of this era does it every single remake does it where they just feel like the thing that we need to add to this movie is something to make it less scary and more boring yeah but also it just feels like really 
I don't know, like rubbing your face in it in a way that I don't think it needs to. I think it's, yeah. you could get a lot more. Personally, I would have been happier if they just said like, oh, he did it. And But then, then there's like the, the idea that it's interesting to me is that like they do hint at the idea that maybe he didn't do it. They There, there is that whole bit where they think that he's innocent, isn't there? And they think that their yeah. parents have killed an innocent man. Um, and then there's the scene with Carl Gallner's character and his father where I find that one really upsetting as well, where he's just like, like you don't understand what it feels like not to be able to protect your child to like realize mm. that someone has come into your child's life and done this to them and you couldn't be there like that really like hits me in the gut as well where i'm just like oh that's it's such a horrible idea i do love clancy brown like, that, <laughs> yeah, that does help that it's carl Garner and clancy brown having like yeah. a big heart to heart it's like, oh yeah yeah i think that um i mean not to undermine our entire careers and podcasts (laughs) but like to some degree your response to a film particularly a horror film i think is going to be personal because everyone is scared of different things and you know you can talk about cinematography and script decisions and all the rest of it but at the end of the day something like the blair witch project which doesn't have a script or any cinematography really um you know might be the best thing you've ever seen or the worst thing you've ever seen like it's just really a personal emotional response I think absolutely yeah and I do I, I always like talking to you about Nightmare on Elm Street like it's and I think because I you, you having these kind of conversations make me makes me kind of want to look at it again because I'm like oh like that does sound good and like yeah I, I hear what you're saying and yeah I think that's this doesn't undermine the horror <laughs> movie podcasting thing it, it definitely like uh it makes it stronger. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> I think it's that's one of the things that I think hopefully we'll have a bit more of. I don't think either of us have rewatched a movie and so far and have been like, yes, actually, this is great. No, they've not changed our opinions that much, <laughs> which is sort again is sort of a good thing for like us having been film critics for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh yes, past me actually did know what she was talking about. That's a relief. But yeah, because a lot of these films we will have watched when we were literally teenagers, mm. literally children. Like, I think there will be some, and the, and again, like same with the like original Amityville Horror that I w- always say I thought was was really slow and boring and then I rewatched it as an adult and it really worked for me like I think mm. that could come into play with something else something that I dismissed at the time as just being like boring I'll suddenly be like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> just it just, it just can get you in a different frame of mind I think mm, definitely it is normally the ones I thought were boring that are now kind of, <laughs> oh actually it's incredibly powerful <laughs> well the first time I saw Ravenous I really didn't like it and then oh, I love Ravenous. and then I rewatched it for a podcast um, with you and I was like this is amazing what was wrong with me so like maybe it's just like you know something just catches you on a bad day when mm. you're preoccupied or you're just not in the mood for it and and you need to take some time to appreciate it <laughs> but I think with a lot of these they've just been bad that's true and yeah just to end on Nightmare on Elm Street it was uh yeah completely trashed by critics but I think it made it, it definitely made money I think you know these things uh, it did pretty well um the director uh Samuel Bay has not done anything of note since then and I think he was generally very unhappy with how it was perceived and I think yeah and also it feels like he probably didn't have a huge amount of say in some choices um yeah um I mean I didn't I didn't actually see it on release and I have memories of tweeting things like I'm never going to watch this it looks <laughs> fucking awful <laughs> and then I can't remember why I did watch it and, I, and I, I finally got around to watching it I was like oh so I don't know maybe partly it was spectacularly lowered expectations but I have re-watched it like a whole bunch of times and every time I'm like no I do actually really like this film <laughs> it's kind of interesting that it took 
you know, both this is 2010, Friday the 13th, mm. to 2009. It took to the end of the decade to get to like two of the really big. And we didn't talk mm. about Halloween because, again, uh, that'll be kind of coming up in like a splat packy episode. But to, it did take until the end of the decade to kind of felt like to gear up to like the big slasher icons. Do you think that's a rights thing? Yeah, quite, quite, quite possibly, actually. Yeah. Uh, but like, that it was also like a time when pe- people seemed to be starting to lose interest a bit. Um, mm. Or like the, the kind of. Yeah, the things that felt new at the start of the decade were now starting to feel kind of tired, like the kind of gory nastiness. Like, Nightmare on Elm Street is really nasty. Fred it's very gory. Um, Halloween is both. <laughs> Again, I'm really that episode. I'm just I might call in sick. Got to do eyes and Halloween. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's sort of, it feels like it's in, it's interesting having those like massive uh, like figurehead or like horror movie boogeyman right at the end of the decade yeah with films that I quite like the Halloween remake but you quite like the No Man Elm Street remake but generally like not massively well regarded Mm -hmm. either any of those three Um, yeah like the kind of most kind of the interesting stuff in horror was kind of starting to happen elsewhere yeah for sure and that will be exciting to talk about so (laughs) yeah definitely yeah there's a few films that we didn't talk about that we will be looking at in future episodes and we haven't even addressed like all the talking about remakes we've not gone to like the Asian horror remakes yet but that's that is coming we will at first we were like remakes that's one episode (laughs) so many it was like we didn't talk about uh, like Stepfather um, what's the other one like Sorority Row Mm. um I've actually got it off cinema parody, so like it came too late. But uh, the When a Stranger Calls remake. Oh, that I remember being really, really <laughs> awful, useless, waste of time. Uh, but yeah, it was a decade when they just couldn't stop remaking horror movies. But um, that was yeah, that's kind of it for slashes. I think beyond going back to them when we get all splat packy. So I guess uh, we will be back at some point in the future. But. In the meantime, uh, tweet us as always. Let us know what you think about the slasher remakes. Let us know which which one's your favourite. Let us know where you uh, fall on the Nightmare on Elm Street debate. (laughs) I know what I know where everyone's going to fall. I know I'm going to be the only one. (laughs) But nonetheless, I am at Sarah Dobbs. I'm at Jonathan Hatful. And we will be back soon. We really need like a really cool outro line. We do. Don't know what it'll be. You're. If you're enjoying listening to us talk about uh, Up Naughty's Horror, then head over to Through the Trees at ThroughTheTrees.com. I'm doing a series of video essays, which is kind of linked to these podcasts, getting a bit kind of more focused and a lot quicker. But yeah, if, um, yeah, it's a really fantastic site with lots of brilliant writing and reviews of the latest horror movies and cult movies and whatnot. It's really wonderful. Until next time, guys, that's your lot. Bye. <laughs>